0: a life that matters. Because the history of the church has always been people who are willing to forsake all and follow him. You think of the father of our faith. The Bible says Abraham was a father of the faith. And what did God call him to do? Leave civilization as he knew it. Right, Er, The you know, the cradle of civilization, and walk out into the desert following God, and he didn't even know where he ultimately was going. He just said, God said, go. I'm going to head out. I'm going to follow him. So if you have your Bibles, I want to just park a few moments, and and we're just going to pick Mark chapter 8 to park in because, I say that because this passage we're looking at is actually repeated four times in every gospel This passage is spoken and recorded that Jesus said that. If you think of the significance of that, think of this. John 3.16 is only mentioned once. Yet the passage we're going to read is mentioned in every gospel, which means I think God intended this to be well known. It intended this to be well understood. And starting in verse 7 in Mark chapter 8, We have here, Jesus went out with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? They answered him, John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others one of the prophets. But you, he asked him, Who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Messiah, and he strictly warned them to tell no one about him. Then he began to teach them that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders. Chief priests and scribes, be killed and rise after three days. He spoke openly about this. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. And then the passage that is mentioned in every gospel, and starting verse 34, he says, calling the crowd along with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world, yet use his life? What can anyone give in exchange for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. Let's pray. Father, So we come to your word, we recognize this is the word of God. This is, as you said, the word that brings life. And so I pray today, I know that for many this has been a very busy week, and for some of them they are going into even another busier week, yet, Father, this is a time we can stop and we can consider what you have to say. So I pray that your word will be magnified, your person will be magnified in this service, as we look to you, as we look to what you have recorded, for our understanding, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's interesting, as we come to this, it is clear that that Jesus is not beating around the bush. You know many times that Jesus talked in parables, right? People would be scratching their heads, they're like, what is he really saying here? Well, when it comes to this passage, Jesus is not beating around the, the bush, because it says this, he spoke... Plainly or openly about this. He started just getting, he says, listen, guys, I, you recognized who I am. Now I'm telling you what I am going to do. The Son of Man, God Himself in human form, is now going to a cross and it's going to be crucified. And of course, Peter says, No, no, Jesus, that doesn't work with my plan. But the Bible said he spoke openly or he spoke very plainly about what he was going to do. That idea of plainly is unreservedly and boldly. Now, I think this teaching is not used in evangelism much in North America because I think it would prove to be unpopular today as it was when Jesus would say these things. What does Peter say? As soon as Jesus starts talking about this, Peter's like, no, 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 Lord, don't say those things. Don't say that. As a matter of fact, the Bible says Peter rebuked him. That is the word that, uh, that uh, is used for Jesus when he calmed the storm. Right? The storms were, were high, and they were furious out on the lake. And Jesus rebuked the storm, which in essence means this. Enough. Enough storm. And when Peter heard Jesus speaking plainly about this, Peter tried to say to Jesus, enough, stop with that. Enough of that talk. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. In other words, listen, you are not on board with God's plan right now. But the question that is really being asked in this passage, as Jesus is talking plainly, is this question, what does it mean to choose Jesus? What does it mean to follow Jesus? That is the question that is being, Jesus is presenting here. And in this passage, Jesus is being simple and he is being direct. And what he's saying, we'll summarize it very quickly here for you. It may cost you all, but it is worth your all. That's what Jesus is going to say. It may cost your all, but it is worth your all. First of all, as I was reading this passage, I noticed this. To follow Jesus and to live a life that matters means we understand the nature of our lives. Because Jesus is going to say, hey, listen, you need to take up your, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And then he says a bunch of fours. Four, four, four. For this reason, for this reason, for this reason. And if you notice, he says this. Verse 36, For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world, yet lose his life? What can anyone give in exchange for his life? The idea there is for your soul. He spells it out clearly. There's nothing more valuable to a person than their soul. That's what Jesus is saying here. Because in contrast to the world around us, in contrast to the rest of creation around us, the Bible tells us that our soul is eternal. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He says, Why would you pers- follow me? Why would you deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me? He says, because you have an eternal soul. That's his point. Jesus over and over would emphasize this point as he spoke to his followers and he would call them to a life of radical living. Jesus would say things like this in Matthew nineteen thirty one: If you want to be perfect, go sell your belongings and give to the poor and then you will have treasure on earth. No. Then you will have treasure in heaven, because you're an eternal soul. Matthew 5, 11 to 12. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you, because that's such a wonderful thing to happen to you. What a blessed people you are. No. He says, you're blessed when those things happen, but why? He says, be glad and rejoice, because your reward is great in heaven because you have an eternal soul. If there was not life after death, the actual, the Apostle Paul says this, he said, if I fought with wild beasts in Ephesus as a mere man, and he's talking about that when he was preaching Jesus Christ, the crowds, of course, tried to lynch him, they tried to tear him apart. And he says, listen, why would I continue and preach Jesus and face opposing crowds that were out of control? What good would that do me if the dead are not raised? He said, what good would have done me to risk my life if there was no life after this after our death. He says if that was the case, he said let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die in 1 Corinthians 15:32. He says if that's the case, if there's no life after death, if we're just like the animals the rest of creation we die and we're gone. He says this listen, let's just get as much as we can out of a life for us. But he said that is not the case. We have an eternal soul. And we are very familiar in our world, because we live and die in this world, of the first two events of our life. We're very familiar with the first event of our lives, which is our birth. Right? We mark it every year. We celebrate every year. Actually, today is my wife's birthday, so she's down teaching. But if you say, her wish her a happy birthday. And we mark those events, right? We're like, hey. This is my 32nd year. This is my 54th year. Whatever the year is, we, we mark it. And you may not like to mark it, or you may be happy to mark that year. But that's the first event of our lives. And then, of course, we're very aware of the second event of our lives. And it's the second event. It is not the final event of our lives. It's just the second main event. And that's our death. And we're talking about our physical death. Our spirits live on because after death, we are with God or separated from him. And so you see here, what? It shows you this life. And that, in that dot, contains your, your birth and your physical death. But the Bible teaches that because we are a soul, as Jesus says, what would a man give in exchange for a soul? Nothing, because nothing is eternal like your soul. We will live on after our death. John six, twenty eight, twenty nine says, Do not be amazed at this, because a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good things to the resurrection of life, but those who have done wicked things to the resurrection of condemnation. Matthew twenty five, forty six will say it even further. They will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The Bible is clear that we are eternal souls. And people, a lot of times, struggle in our world with understanding the concept that life continues after death. Because we have not experienced it. Because this is all we know. It's kind of like I was telling some of the, I think the teens, a few weeks ago, that um, I was over teaching in Russia. And in one of the churches, they had a ministry to the Russian gypsies. And the gypsies kind of move a lot, and so um, scholastic education is not really high um, on their priorities sometimes, or their ability. And so there was one guy who was probably about 19 or 20. I was preaching, and afterwards he came up, and he wanted to speak to me. Now, he knew no English, but I had an interpreter. And so he started talking to me, and at one point, he started saying, Listen, I'm going to come and visit you in Canada. And I said to him, I says... I said, it is a long, long way. And he's like, no problem, I walk. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And then I said, but not only is it a long way, but there is a big ocean. And he says, no problem, I swim. <laughs> So I always said people um, that I know from Newfoundland, listen, if you ever see see a Russian gypsy about twenty, you know, five years old, climb up on your bank, send him my way, but <laughs> but he had no concept. Right? He had, he had never seen an ocean. He had never studied about an ocean. He has no clue. It is not something that you can swim. It was outside his realm of imagination. And listen, in our world today, so many people struggle with the fact that, that death is only the second event in their life because it's outside of their imagination. It's outside of what they know. The Bible is very clear about this. Your destination will be determined by what you believed on earth. Your destination in eternity will be determined by what you believed on earth. This is the third event. And if we understand the eternal nature of our souls, then we begin to understand the significance of Christ's mission. Why in Gethsemane, Jesus Christ said, Listen, if there is any other way, let's not do this. But he said, Nevertheless, your will be done, because these people have eternal souls that are worth saving. My death will make an eternal difference for those who choose to trust in me. Because only the righteous, eternal Son could bear the weight of our sin against an eternal God. John twenty thirty one. I love this. It says, but these are written, these, this record of Jesus Christ and what he did is written so you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. This morning, I have to ask you this question on this point. Do you have eternal life? Have you accepted his invitation? You know, as VBS was happening, um, I had a couple conversations with some people about um, I don't primarily talk about, especially with children, as, as salvation as a gift of God anymore. It is a gift of God. Ephesians 2 8 and 9, right? For it is the, not of works, it is the gift of God, lest any person should boast. That is true. But listen, in our world today, we don't understand g- gifts. And it, it misinterprets the way that what salvation is all about. Because I've gone to businesses, randomly, hit them when they're having some sort of promotion or something, and they've given me a gift. And you know what I've done? I've taken that hat, I've taken that little water bottle, and I've gone on my merry way, and I've had no more relationship with them than when I did when I first walked in. Are you with me? A gift is just like, oh, thank you. That's good. I appreciate that. I, I appreciate your generosity. I'm going my way. But the Bible says salvation is not so much about it, just a gift you just kind of throw in your pocket and you go on your merry way again. Like nothing's ever changed. The Bible says salvation is about an invitation to a right relationship with God. And where the gift come in, comes in is that we can't have that right relationship unless Jesus Christ did something for us. That's why the gift's so important because we can't have that, that, that relationship with Jesus Christ because our sin would block has blocked it. Remember in the garden, after Adam and Eve sinned, what happened? That beautiful relationship, that right relationship with God was broken, and God had to cast them out of His presence. And ever since then, every time we've been born in this world, guess what? We've been born sinners, and we've been cast from the presence of God. And so though there is an invitation for us to be in a right relationship with God, for Him to be our God, and we to be His people, the problem is we can't have that relationship. Unless we have righteousness, which only Jesus Christ had, which he gives to us when we call out in his name to rescue us. Salvation is primarily an invitation to a right relationship with God. And that's why for eternity, those who put their faith and trust in what Jesus Christ has done get to have, be in, for eternity, in a right relationship with our creator, the one who loves us. That's, and, you know, it's available for anyone. What does Jesus say here? Um, in verse 34, he calls the crowd along with his disciples. Do you get that? It wasn't just his disciples. He said, you're the exclusive group that get to come with me. He calls the crowd and says this, if anyone wants to follow after me, it's an invitation open to all. Isn't that incredible? Not just a certain select group. He says, listen, if anyone wants to follow me, Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And we cannot have that right relationship without his gift of salvation. The Bible says this. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. See, there's that right relationship. He's the Lord. Um, I'm his person, or I'm his people. And believe in your heart that God is raised from the dead. You will be saved. Can I ask you this morning, do you have eternal life? Have you accepted his invitation to be in a right relationship with him? You see, depending on whether you call out for Jesus for us, you determines what judgment you'll stand at. The Bible says believers will stand at the bema seat of Christ, and those who have rejected Christ's offer will stand at the great white throne judgment, one for reward based on their works, and one for retribution based on their works. Matthew 11, 23, 24 teaches us, And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No. You will go down to Hades. For if the miracles were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained till today. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Matthew 23, 14. Now this is what he says, it'll be more tolerable, not less tolerable. In other words, the lake of fire is going to be terrible for all people. He said, but some of you who knew the truth and rejected the truth openly, it's going to be much worse. But on the other hand, the Bible says in Matthew 16, 27, For the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and He will reward each of His servants according to what He has done. Heaven can only get better, and hell can only get worse. But listen, there is an effect of what we believe, and then after that, of what we do for eternity. It's going to affect our experience. And our physical death is just the beginning of your life. I like what the Bible says this. It says, uh, sorry, not the Bible. It was somebody wrote about this. It says, Realize that this life on earth is just the preface, not the book. It's the preliminaries, not the main event. The tune-up, not the concert. And yet so many people live for this life as this, this is all they have when they don't understand that our souls are eternal. And in light of that, then Jesus now says this. He says, To follow Jesus and live a life that matters means we follow his example. See, Abraham and so many people in the Bible had a faith in that perspective that changed the whole way they looked at life. They ignored what this world said matters, and they looked to eternity and says, What matters in eternity? What I'm going to do today is going to be something that matters for eternity. And and we kind of understand this this concept of growing to have a bigger perspective um, as we raise kids, those of you who have raised kids. Have you noticed that for little, the younger they are, the less of a perspective they have for the future? How many of you ever tried to explain to a two-year-old, they need to eat their food um, because at some point they need to graduate and get a job? (laughs) Right? They are not seeing that far ahead. I mean, they're only seeing maybe one minute ahead, if that, right? And as they get older, you can start explaining them more and more, right, about the impact their choices make farther on. And they begin to understand that. And see, what wisdom is, the Bible says that God gives wisdom. Wisdom is not Ultimately being able to say how do my choices affect me for in 20 years 30 years But how does my choices affect me in a thousand years in a million years see that's wisdom being able to look ahead and say okay? How are my choices affecting my future now? To follow Jesus live a life that matters means we follow his example and in the Bible We have people that wanted to invest in something that mattered and they lived in light of eternity and so that's why in that slide, right, you see your existence and then, it, see, eternity just keeps going on and on and on and on. It's forever. And what blows my mind is how easily we can get fixated on that dot. And we live our life in, in light of just that one little dot there. We're like, well, you know, I'm going to work super hard. I'm going to invest all my money so that I can retire for five years. And I forget that eternity goes on forever. The Bible is clear, what I do with this first part affects the rest. So Jesus says, listen, invest your life so that when you cross your finish line, you've done your best, you have invested well in light of eternity. Well, what does Jesus mean by these two expressions, deny yourself and take up your cross? Deny yourself seems like some sort of Lent. You know, you've got to do Lent your whole life. You've got to give up something that you really, really want. And to bear your cross... Well, that's kind of weird, probably, but maybe it's my burden to bear, right? Some people are like, oh, that's my cross to bear. Is that what he's talking about? Because we know that only one person could die on a cross for us. That's Jesus, because none of us are righteous, right? So only Jesus is the one who could actually die on a cross. What does he mean by that? Well, first of all, deny yourself. It's a very interesting word, and it's a word actually... It it, it can mean to deny the truth of a statement, but it almost has overtones of association with a a person. Denial in the New Testament is the intentional disassociation from a relationship with a particular person. For instance, the way this verb is used is when Peter denies Jesus. If you remember, as Jesus is going into the crucifixion, he's in judgment and stuff like that, he says what? I don't know this man. This man has no impact on my life. I'm just here as a bystander, just kind of curious of what's going on. We have no connections to each other. We have no relationship, impact with each other. This is really talking about self-denial. It's the intentional disowning of the self or stepping away from the relationship with self as primary, as vital. Jesus is not making a statement here whether self is good or bad. All he's saying is this. Who is your primary allegiance going to be to, yourself or to me? He says, if you want to follow me, he says, your primary allegiance needs to be me. It needs to be, I need to be the main one. And then take up your cross. Jesus made this statement about taking up a cross before he died on the cross. Before people were really aware that he was going to die on the cross. And so he was helping, he used this statement in how they would understand it then. Not that it may not have a bigger meaning after we know what Jesus did for us. But the point of this was when you saw somebody bearing a cross, It was because that they had been in rebellion against the state. Pretty significant rebellion against the state. And what the Romans used to do for those people that had a significant rebellion against the state is that they would make them carry their own cross. And the idea of this is that the condemned person was now so completely conquered that in his last act in life, he would be carrying the instrument of his demise to the place of his death. It was a show of complete and utter submission. We have humbled this guy, so instead of being defiantly arrogant and rebellious, now he's completely submissive because he's actually carrying his own death sentence with him. That's what Jesus is saying. He says, listen— he said, you need to make me as a priority. You need to be submissive to my will. You need to say, you know what? I've come to do God's will. The call to bear one's cross is far, far, part of following Jesus' Is called to being as submitted to Christ as the condemned criminal was to his death. You know what's incredible is that's the life that Jesus lived, wasn't it? He says, I always do the will of my Father. And here's the craziest thing. Jesus said, if you do this, if you deny yourself, you make me the priority, if you submit to my will, he says this, if you choose to live that way, you gain. That's how Jesus presents it. He said, if you want to save your life, and you said, no, I'm going to just be all about me, he said, you're going to lose it all. But he said, if you die to yourself, and he says, and you live for me, he says, you will gain. He says, you will gain. And it's a present continual te- tense here. He says, you know, take up your cross and follow me. Here's the idea. It's keep denying yourself. Keep taking up your cross. Keep following me. It's a continual tense, present tense. And you think of the one whose life mattered the most, Jesus, right? If we're following him, he said, I always come to do the will of my Father. But what did Jesus make a priority in his life? Think about that. Did he make a home a priority? Never owned a home. He says, I can not go a place to lay my head. Did he make travel a priority? Except for the trip that his parents made to Egypt, to, you know, to save his life, he never left the country. Not when he had the ability. Did he make marriage and family a priority? Nope, never married. Did he make a long life a priority? Died at 33. He didn't begin to live a complete life by our standards, yet no one lived a life that mattered more. He says, I'm going to do what God wants of me. And he's the one we're following. The question is, are we? Are we actually following him? Commitment to Christ means taking up your cross daily, giving up your hopes, dreams, possessions, and even your very life, if need be. And there's the phrase, right? We're not saying you got to go sell it all, you got to abandon everything. We're saying that you, God Jesus is saying, like, you need to be willing to give it up if I ask you to do it. I think of the um, apostle Peter, and uh, when the disciples were leaving and different things, like and, and Peter actually says to Jesus, he says, um, we've left all and followed you. We've abandoned our careers and all that. And we're following you. What's in it for us? And Jesus didn't say, Peter, that's a bad idea. You know, don't, don't be like that. He says, Yeah, Peter, he says, if you if you abandon houses, if you abandon lands, if you abandon family for my sake, he said, you will receive a hundredfold. That's incredible interest. I mean, if somebody came to you today and said, guaranteed, listen, you give me a thousand bucks in a couple of months, I'll give you a hundred thousand. I'll be like, I'm in, right? I'll be like, how many ch- kids can I sell to get the-? no, I'm just joking. <laughs> but you know what I mean? You'd be like, what? This is crazy. And yet, Jesus said this to Peter, He says, yeah. He says, listen, if you will submit to me—if you will live for me—he says, you gain. No doubts about it because it is a promise of God. Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing some of your closest friends? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means alienation from your family? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means the loss of your reputation? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing your job? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing your life? And the, the phrase there is, are you willing? Because probably for the most part, God's not going to require that of us, but he wants us to be willing. But, you're, but you need to be willing to take up your cross. If it comes a point in your life where you're faced with the choice, Jesus, or the comforts of this life, what well, will you choose? Them or Jesus? So I want you to think, because Jesus actually gives, I think, three reasons why we would do this. Why would we live in such a radical way that we would give up weeks of our summer To serve Jesus, that we would get involved in ministry continually every week. Why? Jesus actually gives us three reasons. First of all, because God brings life through obedience. Look in verse 35. It says, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world, yet you lose his life? God brings life through obedience. It's amazing the blessing that comes when you choose to sacrifice for Jesus. I could hear and tell you story after story after story of regular people who says, you know what, I'm going to serve God, and how God in so many incredible ways blessed their life. But God's kingdom works differently, doesn't it? Have you noticed that when you're reading the Bible? In God's kingdom, the Bible says that it's the generous person who gets filled. Right? It's the guy who's generous, who's giving to the needs around him. He says, the generous person will be filled. In God's kingdom, the servant is the one who gets exalted. In God's kingdom, the last becomes the first. In God's kingdom, dying to self brings life to others. You know, I think of this week. On Monday, we had um, a couple kids, but one kid came in, and we were teaching the creation story. And the kid talked to one of his leaders, actually maybe a couple of them, and says, That is the craziest story I've ever heard. That God created the heavens and the earth. What is this? Doesn't he know there was a big bang? Like, what are you guys believing? And then on Thursday, during game time, he went to a leader and says, You know what? I need Jesus to rescue me from my sins. Because what? Obedience brings life not only to us, but to others. That's the way Jesus, God, planned it. Secondly, because of the nature of this world, look in verse 36. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world yet lose his life? What can anyone give in exchange for his life? You know what he says? You're going to lose it all, anyways. I mean, Solomon learned that, right? He says, I built all these great works, like wonders of the world. And then he's like, I got all depressed because I'm like, you know what? After I leave, nobody's going to care about it as much as me. And it's all going to rot and get destroyed anyways. Right? Someone says, you don't see a U-Haul behind a hearse. Right? You, it's all going to be destroyed anyways. That's the nature of this world. That's why the Bible says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Don't put your investment all in this world. To me, it reminds me of castles in the stand. How many of have gone to the beach this year, right? And if you've got children, what do they start doing? Building sandcastles. Especially if the tide is out. And you know what always happens? The tide comes back in. And you know what? I've been around my boys, and they are scrambling so frantically, they're trying to dig a bigger moat because they're trying to save their sandcastle. But eventually, no matter what happens, that sandcastle is going to be covered by the waves, and when we come back in another, what, 16 hours? Guess what? You are going to not see a sign that the sandcastle is ever built there. That's essentially what Jesus is saying. He listen. He said, you can, sure. A M- lot of people, the majority of people in this world, are going to try to build something of this life in just that little dot. And they're going to work so hard, and guess what? In the end, it's time is going to erase everything. It's going to mean nothing in the end. Jim Elliott, who was a missionary who actually gave his life on, um, uh, to, to tell um, people about Jesus, said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And I thought it was so interesting. I was reading um, the report, of, of course, uh, Tom Brady. Um, you, you had heard, I think it was this spring, right, that he... Uh, that he was going to retire again after, after the Super Bowl. And so, uh, so somebody actually paid for the last touchdown football he threw, somebody paid over half a million dollars for it. And literally five days after, after he had uh, paid over half a million dollars for this football, I think it was like 600,000, somewhere around there, um, I read in the report, that Tom Brady then said, no, I think I'm going to go play again. And somebody said, listen, that football now probably is only going to be valued at $5,000. I mean, they should have known. Tom Brady already did that once. I mean, he should have known that maybe that was going to happen. But here's the thing. That's what happens when we invest in this world. We're like, man, this is, this is going to be an amazing investment. And all of a sudden it ends up being, what, deflated because we get sick. We near the point of our death. And guess what? All those things Jesus said, hey, who's going to appreciate them now? Who's going to value them now? I like what Nate Saint said. He says, People who do not know the Lord ask why in the world we waste our lives as missionaries. They forget that they too are expending their lives. And when the bubble is burst, they will have nothing of eternal significance to show for the years they have wasted i to read that again. People who do not know the Lord ask why in the world we waste our lives as missionaries. They forget that they too are expending their lives. And when the bubble is burst, they will have nothing of eternal significance to show for the years they have wasted. Then the final one, which I think is the best one. Look in verse 38. It says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Just a couple words I want to pull out there. I think Jesus says, listen, why would you live a radical life like that? Because of who he is. On the one hand, we have this word glory, when Jesus comes in the glory. And that word glory is this, splendor, brightness, and exaltation. And here is God himself, who was not ashamed to come down and associate with sinners, right? The Bible says Jesus was a friend of sinners. And the glorious, the most glorious being in the world was not ashamed to come down and walk among men. Yet he says, what? There'll be people who are ashamed of him, who are ashamed of him. When he's the one who humbled himself to rescue us, listen to Revelation 1, 5 to 6. This is Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of this earth, to him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to God and father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. THIS ONE WHO IDENTIFIED HIMSELF WITH ME, PICKED UP A CROSS TO SAVE ME, BORE THE WRATH OF GOD TO RESCUE ME. IS THIS NOT A GOD THAT'S WORTH LEAVING EVERYTHING FOR? TO, to BE IN A RELATIONSHIP WITH HIM? HOW COULD WE EVEN COMPARE HIM TO TEMPORARY FAME, FORTUNE, EXPERIENCES THIS WORLD OFFERS? CAN YOU IMAGINE SITTING THERE AND BE LIKE GOD OR, OR, YOU KNOW, A VACATION IN Tahiti, REALLY? BUT THAT'S WHAT WE DO, ISN'T IT? And GOD SAYS, WHAT, ARE YOU ASHAMED OF ME? Do we ever say, I'll pursue a relationship over you? I'll seek a career over you? I'll seek a spot on a roster over you? I'll seek out more toys over you? And God says, adulterous is the word for them. What is adulterous? When you have a relationship and you say, no, I'm going to go outside that to try to satisfy my needs. Now, Peter and many of the others that were listening here would actually pick up a literal cross. history records. Your choice and my choice may not be as dramatic, but the substance must be the same. At some point, following Jesus will cost you. Do you pursue him overall? Do you say, you know what? I choose Jesus. Colossians 1.18 says, he is the head of the body, Jesus, the church. He is the beginning, firstborn from the dead. So that in everything, he might have first place. That we'd say, I choose Jesus. Yet how easy we become short-sighted and begin to focus on trivial things. How easy it is to, we can start complaining about service times, or the temperature. Or how dare me that they, how dare they ask me to serve in the nurt- nursery, or, or to give again to this cause. Really, are we even on the same wavelength? Jesus said, hey, you know what, are you willing to deny yourself to take up of the cross? And you're complaining about inconvenience? Listen to Philippians 3. This is what the Apostle Paul put it. It says, more than that, I consider everything, I consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I suffer the loss of all things, and consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. He's saying, I choose Jesus. In my weakness, I might struggle, but in the end, I choose Jesus. Because he's worth it. I remember when I was thirteen, an evangelist came through, and he had this little statement that he said. He says, "All I am, all I have, all I ever hoped to me, hope to be, I now and forever dedicate to your use, unconditionally." And maybe this morning, you've been looking at your life, and maybe you're saying, "You know what? I've been struggling with this choice. Do I choose Jesus?" Am I choosing Jesus? Maybe today that you need to make that commitment and say, you know what? In light of eternity, all I am, all I have, all I ever hope to be, I dedicate for you. I choose you. Maybe you're here today. And maybe you've not put your faith and trust in what Jesus has done and his sacrifice on your behalf. I encourage you today, make the choice and say, you know what, I put my faith and trust in Jesus. I want to be in a right relationship with him for eternity. And then serve him.